I would do anything for money, but I won't do Moonfall. R.I.P. <laughs> mm. Meatloaf. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. Or do not. There is no Hello and welcome to another edition of Nerdfist Podcast. With us today we have... Karis Gibson. Peter Johnson. Dan Watkins. And I'm John Farthing. We've got some bus or bluffs and love is in the air for Daniel's special Valentine's Day quiz. Ooh. Ah, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get started. I saw um, Scream 5 uh-huh. on Friday. Any good? I loved it. I had a great time. What's your Scream order of best to worst? Oh, well, the first one, the third one, the fourth one, the second one, and now the fifth. So you really liked it, but it's the least good Scream. Yeah. It was more just going to a movie and getting jump scares and stuff again. I got got. Yeah. I got got, <laughs> so many. I got, got bad. And my, my brother was laughing at us because I'm the, I love horror, but I'm the biggest wimp. I do jump and scream and hide behind my coat. Do you like getting got? Yeah. Scary film. yeah. I love it. Yeah, I hate it. Really? <laughs> yeah, God, I don't like it. John, put the axe down. I get a, a big fright and then I just giggle at myself. Uh, I love it. No, I just get scared. Oh. I think Amy took me to see the Woman in Black stage show about ten years ago, and she still apologises about how scared really? I got. <laughs> that that I've heard that because she's scary. in the audience. You don't know where she what? is at any point. Really, like she could just appear out of nowhere, and it oh oh no, I didn't, like, I didn't like it. That's an amazing device. Oh, it's very very effective, but it freaked me out. So I, it could have been Amy. It's like at any it point, it's like you. she could be literally she could come out of the orchestra pit right now. God, you could be the woman in black. I am. <laughs> they tried to replicate that in the film a little bit because a lot of the time she's just in the very corner of the frame before she goes. Bleh. That's oh yeah, scary. you see her in the background, don't you? Yeah. Like in mirrors, half yeah, glimpsed, that, and, that's, and that's scarier than when she's actually there. Ghost stuff really puts the shit up us. Yeah, <laughs> having gone to comedy shows with you, what is really <laughs> fun is that when you find something really funny, it, it just explodes from you, and you grab hold of me. I grab Peter. Like, yeah. did you see that? Did you hear that? <laughs> which, like, which is great because it kind of shares it. But I can only imagine what it's like going to a horror film with you. <laughs> Probably your arm would be in tatters yeah. by the end of the film. But uh, yeah, the Woman in Black stage show I would pick over the film because they they use lots of stage crafty things. Can we go? Yeah, Let's I go can down. hide under a coat. <laughs> I'll give you it's, some of my coat. Thank you. Yeah, because it's two main characters talking about the past experience and the story of it, and then you see flashbacks, but then sometimes they're not flashbacks, and she's actually there with them as they're telling the story later, oh or my is she, God. or is she not? And the actor who plays the woman in black is not in the program. She's not listed in the cast or anything. <gasps> when did you see this play, Dan? <gasps> like 10 years ago. But, but it closed 20 years ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's just lots of little things like that that just freak you out. And it's very, it's very effective. Have you seen the TV movie? It's supposed to be really, really good. I've heard of it. Yeah, I think it got a Criterion release a couple of years ago. I'm going to say it's better than the Harry Potter film. It didn't help him when in the opening scenes he's on a train platform and he gets on a steam train to go to a remote location. I'm trying not to be Harry that. Potter. I'm trying not to be Harry Potter. Right, steam train scene. Uh, yeah, it didn't help him. 
Equus helped him. (laughs) 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 So it's time for Buff or Bluff. And first of all, this week, Peter, you've got three facts for us. I had an evil plan, which is that during the week or two leading up to a podcast recording, I would actually tell you something as a fact, which later I was going to use as a bluff in the podcast. And you'd think you were so clever because you already knew. How evil is that? (gasps) What's even cleverer is suggesting that you were going to do it as if you haven't, but actually you have. And I'm trying to think of any facts you might have told us in the past few weeks. So if you recognise anything in the three facts today... Has our whole friendship been predicated (laughs) on this game? I'm playing the long game. Yeah, You do occasionally send me random facts at two in the morning. (laughs) And I do wonder whether that's a long game. Maybe we'll find out today. And my three are about... Die Hard. <gasps> or, as it's known in Germany, The Hard. Well, <laughs> funny you say that. Because the first one of the three facts is that movies often have different titles in different countries. Die Hard 2 had a different title in France. It was called Cinquante-huit minutes pour vivre. 58 minutes to live. Fact number two. Bonnie Bedelia, who plays John McClane's wife Holly, was born Bonnie Culkin and is related to the movie actors. And fact number three, some say John McClane's vest is the iconic star of the first movie. Because the movie was shot out of order, the costume department had to make over 80 vests, with eight copies at each of ten different stages of damage. Hmm. So which of the three is the bollocks? Now, that vest does undergo some colour changes over the course of the film. The continuity of the shirt is not... Wait, this film's strongest point. Yeah, I thought it was our TV no, the last time we watched it. I know the second one. About Bonnie. Yeah, Bonnie Bedelia is Macaulay Culkin's aunt, I believe. Mm-hmm. Auntie McCulkin. Uh, her nephews are Macaulay, Kieran and Rory Culkin, mm-hmm. is the fact. And 58 minutes. What has a 58 minute time limit in Die Hard 2? I know there are lots and lots of bombs and planes mm. and things like that, but I've only seen that one a couple of times. Isn't the thing about the Die Hard films that all of them are based on source material that isn't a Die Hard? So the first Die Hard is adapted by a book which had a different title, and then Die Hard 2, I think, might have been taken from a different book. They're all it's, Which it's might in, have been called 58 Minutes That's to what Live. I'm thinking of, whether it was based on a book called that, which was, was adapted into Die Hard mm. 2, and that rings a bell somewhere in my head. Even Die Hard 5? The other four. Mm. Okay, well, Number explains. four is based on a Wired article. Mm. Three is based on a movie script, and the mm-hmm. first two are based on books. Number three was originally script for a Lethal Weapon sequel, I think. Yeah. Mm. Which, if you watch it, makes, obviously it makes does, sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I've heard 58 Minutes to Die in that, context i don't think there was 80 different shirts i don't think they'll be good to that level of that's too many that's too many shirts this is unrelated (laughs) but the sheer number of pairs of glasses that daniel radcliffe went through in the harry potter films it was well into the hundreds really um so lots and lots of different vests for bruce willis you might have a different vest every day of filming i don't know i could believe that one Mm. what was he doing with the glasses magic Great answer. You can't, can't argue with that, can you? <laughs> it, was, it was selling them outside the door of the studio for five years ago. <laughs> I am going to go with the French title for my bluff, I think. I think I'm going to go for the, uh, the shirts, the, the, the string vests. I'm going French as well. <laughs> okay. 
Bonnie Bedelia, as John mentioned, was born Bonnie Culkin and is related to Macaulay, Kieran and Rory Culkin. The movie titles, that was the title of the original novel by Walter Wagner, which the movie was based on. Okay. Mm-hmm. So all the logic was true there. Uh, Die Hard was called Piège de Cristal, or the Crystal Trap in France. Ooh. I assume it refers to the diamonds. Or was it bear- Oh, it was bearer bonds, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I wonder what they called the crystal maze. And the vest. I was exaggerating quite a bit. There oh. were actually 17, though. That's still a lot of vests. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of vests. That's four packs of Primark vests. <laughs> with, with three left over. With, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> so the weird thing is they must have had a little sort of production line for the vests. So say if, if it gets a mark at a certain point, they then put the same mark on mm. all the following. Yeah. Well, you normally have to take continuity photographs at the end of each day's shooting so they know but if you're not doing it in order yeah you might have to mark a thing up for how it's going to be damaged by a thing before it's even happened yet i know if you watch evil dead 2 the amount of blood on bruce campbell's face changes from shot to shot and angle to angle quite considerably i didn't know that bonnie bedelia was related to the culkins but now i would like holly Gennaro to be in season four of succession She's already broken John McClane. She can break Logan. <laughs> I mean, she was, she was a high-level executive with Nakatomi. Yeah. I didn't mean sexually. <laughs> I, I, I thought you had, and I hoped you had. <laughs> Die Hard 6, counselling. <laughs> Dan, what have you got for us? So my buffer bluff this episode is inspired by the song We Don't Talk About Bruno from Disney's Encanto being the first Disney song to be number one in the UK. Hmm. It's been Disney's biggest selling song ever. Which also led to a rare occasion where we got a song right about what was number one in the charts on our pub quiz well this done. Monday. <laughs> just because it was a song from Encanto. Amazing. Uh, so I've got three facts about Disney songs. Go for it. Number one. Phil Collins won an Oscar for You'll Be In My Heart from Tarzan, but he came up with that song at a Christmas party and the first version was written on a piece of wrapping paper. Number two, Walt Disney himself's favourite song was Once Upon a Dream from Sleeping Beauty and he'd always have musicians play it for him whenever they visited his office. And number three, We Don't Talk About Bruno was almost very different because the character wasn't called Bruno. He was originally called Oscar, but they changed it because not a lot rhymes with Oscar. Hmm. Tosca. As in the Italian classical person. It's the only thing I can think of that the would opera. rhyme. I the can't opera. think of a single thing. It's all right. And neither could Lin-Manuel Miranda. No. If you believe that. Good. I mean, but not that much rhymes with Bruno. I mean, you think you changed... You know. Do you know? Although. Changed to Dave or something. Dave. Got Dave. Dave, yeah. We don't talk about Dave. Rave, Stave, Dave. Um, yes, Rave, lots of things yeah. rhyme with Dave. It's not a very Colombian name. Shave. <laughs> yeah. we, we don't talk about shave. It's a very different song. Um, <laughs> why would you change it to another word that doesn't rhyme with a lot? That's my thinking that that might be the bluff. Quick reminder on the other two. The other two were Phil Collins came up with his Oscar winning song at a Christmas party and scribbled it down on wrapping paper. And Walt Disney's favourite song was from Sleeping Beauty, and he'd get musicians to play it for him whenever they came to his office. Mm. Has anyone ever tried to write on wrapping paper? And especially yes, now. It's, it's so thin, and it just falls to bits. It wasn't back then, though. It was yeah. like... In the 90s. <laughs> it was like carpet. <laughs> the, the, the bluff isn't it? It did win the Oscar, didn't it? It did yeah. win the Oscar. Yeah, That's not sure. a bluff. Yeah. But the, the bluff is that he wrote it on some wrapping paper. Yeah. I believe that. 
and then the other one is musicians visiting Walt Disney's office and enforcing them to perform to his whims. <laughs> to, to play Once Upon a Dream from Sleeping Beauty, his favourite song. Did he ever wonder why musicians stopped coming to his office for meetings? Come for five minutes to talk about like the new Mary Poppins. He goes, perform for me, bitches. That is how he spoke. Exactly like that. Yeah. Mm. Uncle Walt. Uncle Walt with his frozen head. <laughs> his head is in Frozen? The film? <laughs> <laughs> that, they should have done that. They should have put on a <laughs> Walt Disney head in a jar in the background somewhere. That's a little in-joke. Mm. I think the, yeah, I'm going for, we need to talk about Oscar. Just to be different, I'll go for number two. Walton's song. I'm going to go for wrapping paper, just so all three bases are covered. Well, all three bases are covered, but only Karis is correct. Oh. Get in! So, yeah, um, yeah <laughs> Phil Collins got inspired uh, when he was playing the piano for someone at a Christmas party and came up with the idea for his Oscar-winning song and scribbled it on some wrapping paper so he wouldn't forget. Was it on someone else's present? I cannot confirm, <laughs> but it maybe. Um, we Don't Talk About Bruno was originally about Oscar, but they changed it because Bruno is easier to rhyme. Uh, but Walt Disney did not make any musicians play Once Upon a Dream for him in his office. His favourite song was Feed the Birds from Mary oh, Poppins, okay. and he would ask the Sherman brothers to play that for him whenever they visited his office, because he loved it so much. Tuppence a bag. What did the Sherman brothers write other than Mary Poppins? Because they did quite a lot of Disney stuff. Yeah, they did they? a lot of stuff in the 60s. Not too much in the animated films. I think they did a fair bit of stuff from The Jungle Book yeah. around that era, but not every song. I don't think Bare Necessities was them. I think they did some stuff time. for the theme parks as well. Yeah. Small World, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. God. But yeah, they had a big influence on what you think of as the Disney song yeah. um, before Howard Ashman and Alan Menken mm -hmm. came along in the late 80s and revolutionised that. Are you still going through your Disney rewatch? Uh, we are, yes. We're still going along with Disney Versity. We've just reached the Black Cauldron. I Ooh. love that one. It's so bizarre. It's so weird. I knew nothing about it. Psychic pigs, I know. weird hairy golem creatures, scary heavy metal undead armies. Didn't Tim Burton work on that one? Uh, that would have been the time he was an animator. But there was a lot of backstage turmoil when like it was going on. Yeah, The witches are so good in it. Yeah. A lot of gratuitous cleavage shots in The oh, Black yeah. Cauldron, which you wouldn't expect. No. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of boobs. It's a real weird outlier, isn't it? In the it Disney films. very much is. Yeah. But one that I'm surprised they haven't done as one of their live-action remakes. It's kind of a notorious bomb as well, wasn't it? So whether they want to re revisit that IP when they've got so yeah. much well-remembered stuff. But that's the sort of thing I think should get a remake. Things mm. that didn't go well the first yeah. time give them another go mm. and get them right. In my head, it always gets a bit confused with Dark Crystal and Return to Oz. Yeah, yeah so all I, around you the can't same time. Which thing comes from which mm. film. So, yeah, we've got Basil the Great Mass Detective up next. I love that. And then, I loved that. <laughs> so we're getting close to the Renaissance in mm. the 90s. It's about to get good again. <laughs> yeah. But yes, still, still on the go with Disney. What will you do next after you get to the end of Disney? Pixar. That's a while away, um, though. And then the Hellraisers. And then the Hellraisers, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've got just three random facts this week. No thematic undertone or linking, although one kind of does tie in with props and things on films. Fact number one, Siegfried and Roy joined the Tiger Show that they had at Las Vegas, which ran for years and years. It was like the first magic show and ended with a special cuddle from a tiger on one of them, which kind of curtailed their career a little bit. But 
during the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, they were like the biggest thing in Las Vegas and they had a lot of famous visitors. So here are some gifts that were given to Siegfried and Roy. Michael Jackson visited them and then wrote a song for them. Dave Lee Roth from the Van Halens visited them and brought them some goats as a gift. Okay. And the Pope visited them and bought them a fragment of the shinbone of St. Francis of Assisi as a gift. <laughs> okay. Mm. So, so I've, got, I've got several questions. I, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, should, I should clarify, this isn't the Buffalo Bluff. This is just one of the three three oh, bluffs. Right. Yes. Okay. Oh, right. Because, <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, the Pope. Where's the Pope going to stand on magic? I don't know. That's the thing. It's like, ooh, I, I know a fellow that could do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he believed that, like St. Francis of Assisi, Sigrid and Roy could talk to animals and he was possibly witnessing miracles and had to verify it? Or did he just see Siegfried and Roy as some sort of tribute act? <laughs> <laughs> Your second fact is that during the filming of Thunderball, Sean Connery's toupee disappeared, causing a day's filming to be lost while they sourced a replacement. Ten years later, Sean Connery saw the toupee on the head of a waiter that was serving him in a Los Angeles restaurant who had worked as an extra on the film. Okay. can't be true. <laughs> and finally, factor number three, the makers of Trivial Pursuit were sued for $300 million for getting Columbo's first name wrong. I think that's a famous wrong answer. Was his first name Bruno? <laughs> <sighs> they call me naive, but... Okay, I did, thank you. Uh, I did not know that Sean Connery had a toupee at any point. Oh, he did what? from quite he, early yes. on. Yeah. Really? And it was really obvious later, but definitely but around Thunderbolt hey, time. Hey, Heyday, hey, James Bond, Connery. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, like even Doctor No has got a syrup on. Yeah. Well, that's ruined Bond for me. How does one call out a toupee? Well, I presume he recognised it. <laughs> did it have his name on a little label? <laughs> did on you the just inside? whistle and see if it answered? <laughs> <laughs> And what's the shelf life of a toupee? If the extra was wearing it it's about 10 years. for 10 years, yeah. I mean, I suppose it's probably quite a good quality, but would you not get another one in that in the meantime? Yeah, I mean, you might not have worn it every day. It might have just been a special occasion toupee. I don't, I don't know. I've got a shift at the restaurant, best put Sean Connery's hair on. Yeah. What do you say? Do you say, yeah? I recognise that. <laughs> My Hedwig. Yeah, and did he take it back? Apparently he did pull the weight up on it and take it back, yeah. <gasps> Oh my Which God. explains why Sean Connery has hair again in all his later <laughs> films. The nerve. I imagine it'd be quite expensive and it'd be like custom made and stuff for a film. So you're saying it fit the waiter quite badly? I, I don't know. I assume or so. Or does he have exactly the same size head as Sean Connery? What about even just hair colour? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've all seen wigs where the, the hair colour in no way matches the remainder of the hair. <laughs> I mean, I know that we have to have all of the Siegfried and Roy gifts being true for that yeah. fact to be true. But then the second fact about the hair came in and St. <laughs> Francis of Assisi's shinbone seems more likely now. I think Michael Jackson did write a song for Siegfried and Roy. I'm sure I read that fairly recently. Yeah, I can believe that. Mm-hmm. And the Trivial Pursuit sued for $300 million for getting Columbo's first I name wrong. I do know they got his first name wrong, mm-hmm. but, but it's one of these weird things. Doesn't it only show up in one episode or it something? It only shows up in one episode, uh, yeah. It shows on his name tag as Frank Columbo, and they put his first name as Peter Columbo. Because the actor who played him was called Peter. Peter Volk, yeah. $300 million. $300 million lawsuit as a result so what, of that. So what was the basis of that lawsuit? What, right. was, what was their case? The case is copyright fraud. 
Oh, I see. Okay. So, um, there's a special name for these. There's a phrase called copyright trap, which is where you put a deliberate mistake. So, on a map, you might put a little house somewhere where there isn't a house or a street that doesn't exist. So, if someone copies your map, they copy the mistake, and that's how you can prove that they've Mm. copied you. Mm. So, there was a quiz book that came out in the 1970s where the guy deliberately put Columbo's first name incorrectly. And then when True Pursuit came out and had the same mistake, he sued True Pursuit because he said, this is evidence that you have copied, copied my, my book. Okay. Yeah. What's the, there's a name for that? Is Copyright there? trap. I'm thinking of something else. Do you think there might be a specific uh, name? You're thinking for of the parent trap. <laughs> <laughs> I think there might be a specific name on that. Or the crystal trap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he lost the lawsuit because the True Pursuit guys admitted that they did copy from his book, but the judge ruled that you can't copyright a fact. Even if it's an imaginary fact. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like so they didn't look. get the 300 million he didn't get his 300 million no i think that one's true i think that's true because i think i may have heard that some mm-hmm. point in the past i've got one more secret and roy question okay so david lee roth brought them some goats yes was this jurassic park style and they just left the goats outside for the tigers <laughs> to eat I, I, I think he brought them some goats that they had a menagerie in las vegas Oh, so these could have been rare or exotic goats. A menagerie à toi. Uh, yeah. Where did David Lee Roth get the goats from? I imagine on a rider. Mm. He went back to his dressing room. He's asked for go-go girls and he got go-go goats mm. instead. And he's like, what am I going to do with that these goats? That sounds like a very dodgy 90s cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> go-go goats. <laughs> I'll, I'll go see my mate Seedfin and Roy and give them, give them these goats. I would have watched go-go goats. <laughs> um, okay. I don't know. Every sense is telling me that the Sean Connery to pay <laughs> fact is the bluff. But would the Pope give some magicians a holy relic? What did Secret and Roy then do with them? Did they? I, 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 I don't, don't know. know. I imagine they'll put them on display in the menagerie. With the goats? With the goats. Yeah. Michael yeah. Jackson singing to them. It's a lovely image, isn't it? Yeah. Knowing John's attention to detail, would he make up three things? Or if they Secret weren't true. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that number one is the bluff. The Secret and Roy gifts. Yes. Yeah. I've got to go with my gut instinct. It's the toupee. Yes, toupee away. Kevis, you are wrong. Damn it. it was, Why yes. see it like that? <laughs> <laughs> Those gifts are all true, and I talked about on a podcast that is out at the moment, which I forget the name of, but if you Google Secret and Roy podcast, uh, someone's doing the whole Secret and Roy story, and it's fascinating. They led an insane life. With, you know, it's kind of a sad ending, but he stayed mates with the tiger that mauled him. He said that the tiger didn't attack him. He had a stroke and the tiger was trying to help him. Mm. Um, but it wasn't the first time, like, the tigers had gone horribly wrong during shows and things. So. Yeah, but I mean, fair enough, because the tigers have been subject to systematic abuse over a period of lifetimes. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, good for them, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah. Fighting back at them. I'm yeah. on their side. Uh, you were busy telling us about the Pope. Yeah, um, I mean, I have no further information other than he did give him a piece of uh, St. Francis of Assisi's shin bone. It could have just been any old bit of bone, couldn't it, really? Ripley's got it, I think. Yeah, <laughs> Ripley's currently chewing the femur of um, St. Augustine. All right, do you want me to go history nerd on you here? Go on, then. Because you're getting into at least one of the partial causes of the Reformation in the European Church in the 1500s, because for a thousand years the collection of relics and things to do with saints was a huge part of church business. It was a con job, basically, wasn't it? 
it was an impossible to prove con job because mm. if you have true faith and you are being given a thorn from the crown of thorns or a piece of St. Francis's shin bone or whatever it might be for your church, you have to believe that's the real thing. But at the same time, so many places across Europe claim to have these fragments of the true cross or whatever it might be, and they house them in these incredible reliquaries, these ornate things that pilgrims would go to. Commercially, having a relic was a huge draw, because if you had a local saint, especially if it bestowed a miracle, people would come to your church and they would spend money and your church would get richer and you could buy more relics. And it was a business. Didn't the church also used to sell relics to rich people? It's very good marketing, really. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I've just finished reading Ken Follett's latest novel, which is set in the 900s, right at the end of the Viking Age in England. And they're just setting up a new church and a new monastery. And they know if they want people to come to it, they need a relic. So they have to arrange with the Archbishop of Canterbury to give one of his relics to them to set up this new church. And you've just got to work on the assumption that every relic is the real thing. But there has to come a point where you could make five whole skeletons of Christ because so many people have got mm-hmm. fragments of his bones and which ones are real and which ones are not. If you believe it, you believe it. If you don't believe it, you don't believe any of it. And once Protestantism came in, relics became far less important. I used to love theme park on the Amiga. Mm-hmm. And in theme park, you start like with a bouncy castle. And then a few people would come, so then you had to buy like a roller coaster and so yep. on. So, yeah. so I'd like to see Theme Park Catholic Church edition, <laughs> but with relics <laughs> instead of vines. Theme Cathedral. <laughs> I'd play that. Mm. Killis, take us home. Not literally, John's already I'm home. already here. Yeah. I have three facts about Groundhog Day. You have three facts about Groundhog Day? You've done these already. Yeah, <laughs> this is exactly mentioned. the conversation we had yesterday. Yeah, um, so it was Groundhog Day the other day. Do you have three facts about Groundhog Day? I have three facts about Groundhog You've Day. You said this already. <laughs> Number one, bricks had to be taken out of the road for that scene where Bill Murray steps into a puddle. The town later put up a plaque which says Bill Murray stepped here. Fact number two. The groundhogs kept dying on Bill Murray during filming, and they went through seven. Six of which later ended up as Sean Connery's toupees <laughs> in the <laughs> later Bond films. <laughs> and number three. Bill Murray filmed a scene where he gave himself a mohawk and painted the room, but the three days of filming were cut. Instead, they filmed him breaking a pencil and then seeing it whole the next day so they could show that the day was repeating itself. Did he actually give himself a mohawk? Yes. Because they'd need a toupee for continuity. Mm-hmm. Was this at the end of filming, though? During filming. Mm. So the first one you're saying, they actually had to take some brick work out of the road yes. to make a puddle for him to stand in rather than just spraying some water on the road. Yes, because when he steps in, it goes up to his shin. It's a really mm. big puddle, so they, they took some bricks out of the road. Bill Murray's shin bone later became a religious relic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and where, where's the plaque? Is it? Where the puddle was on the ground, or is it just nearby on a wall somewhere? It's nearby on a wall, I okay. believe. That's, that's less fun. Didn't a groundhog die recently just before Groundhog Day and fuck it up for a time like because we've got no groundhog and now that city is in bad weather for eternity or something? Is that how it works? That's exactly how it I works. I thought we're meant to believe he's immortal and it's always been the same groundhog. Oh, no. I, never, I never got that. That's oh. a whole new... 
I don't know. But seven. That's a, that's a, what a was he doing dogs. to them? And they were filming for what, a month and a half? No, they were filming for four months. Or were they filming for one day over <laughs> and over and over? It's the cheapest movie ever. <laughs> seven sounds a lot. Does it have that thing at the end of the credits about no animals were harmed, quote unquote? <laughs> Except groundhogs. Except groundhogs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the groundhogs could have died naturally. I don't think we're suggesting that Howell Jamis killed groundhogs for fun. And if you are suggesting that, I would suggest, Dan, that you apologise to his family. <laughs> yes, Dan. Um, <laughs> Harold, I'm sorry if you inferred from your holographic digital double self about the groundhogs. He shall come and haunt you like the woman from The Woman in Black. No. When you least expect no. it. But slightly blurry and fake looking like the one in the film. <laughs> I've got a question. What's the collective noun for dead groundhogs? A Murray. <laughs> Hang on, is it not that they ate a lot of pork mince during the filming, so they actually went through seven ground hogs? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Have you misread slightly there? I think I did, yeah. We sometimes talk about the nature of truth with these things. Might it be that they'd lost one or two ground hogs, but it wasn't seven? Would that count as being a, a bluff? Am I stretching the truth? Is that what you're asking? Is it a numerical truth or a factual yeah. truth? It's a factual truth. Okay. I mean, the groundhog's barely in the film. Mm. I think it's only in one scene. Well, is that the beginning, where he comes out and sniffs and says about the weather? And then there's a bit where Bill Murray's driving the car off the cliff and he has a groundhog on the oh, steering does, wheel. Oh, he does, yes. yes. Yeah. They may have lost a few there. Yeah. They could have just used the gopher from Caddyshack. <laughs> Isn't there a groundhog that does go off the cliff in the car? Not for real, I hope. Mm. I think lemmings. They don't normally have cars. And they don't normally go off cliffs either. Disney. Yes. <laughs> Killed a lot more than seven. I think the puddle one's probably true. I'm not convinced they killed seven groundhogs. <laughs> I didn't say they killed. I said yeah. they were, groundhogs died. I would like to believe that no groundhogs were harmed in the making of Groundhog Day. So I'm going to say that's the bluff in hope that it's not true. Yeah, I think I'm going for the immortal groundhog. I think the groundhog's the bluff. You are all correct. You? <laughs> yes. Um, Don't tell me it was ten. <laughs> no, I don't. As as far as I believe, no groundhogs died during the filming of Groundhog Day. However, the real groundhog was called Scooter and apparently hated Bill Murray from day one and bit him three times during filming. <laughs> so that's good news. Well, not for Bill Murray. He probably bit him mm-hmm. back. Yeah. He did behave erratically on well, set of that. Apparently, it's because he was going through a divorce. Um, he fell out with the director. Apparently, mm-hmm. he's. Very difficult to work with. It took a long time to get their friendship back together. 20 years on these deathbeds. Yeah. I do love the movie Groundhog Day, though. I know Sky Comedy show it on repeat every day on Groundhog Day. The first time I saw it, I didn't like it. And then I watched it recently. And it's actually about the concept of Buddhism. The bit where Bill Murray comes back as a butterfly one day. That was confusing. (laughs) So do we think that's actually true or just it's an underlying theme? I think the writer has come out, actually, and said that it was about that. Yeah. Who was it written by? I cannot remember, but it was, it, it was I want to say Danny Rubin, but I know it was very, very heavily rewritten by Ramis, and then very, very heavily rewritten by Bill Murray. I think Harold Ramis wanted to make it just a pure comedy, and then Bill Murray tried to put some of the existentialism and philosophy back into it. And I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good example of a great movie coming out of a very tough shoot and tough process, from what I understand. 
So have you got three facts about Groundhog Day for us? I've got three facts about Groundhog Day. You've said this already. (laughs) (laughs) Dan. Hi. I love you. I love you too. Could you share your love for me with the form of a quiz? (laughs) Yes. Took me a while to work out where you're going with that. (laughs) I was waiting to see how seamless that introduction would be. I thought that was quite seamless. I loved it. Ah, I know. Was that a Han Solo reaction? It was, yes. I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love you all. Um, so, yeah, we're in the, the loveliest time of the year. It's, a, it's, it's Valentine's Day Halloween. and all thereabouts. No, we're not Halloween. <laughs> what I've done is I've created, and if they already exist on the internet, I apologise, I did not look these up, 10 nerdy Valentine's Day cards that have either been written or been written for Famous nerdy film characters. Mm-hmm. Oh so I'm going to give you the terrible pun or the terrible reference to love. You've got to tell me who the Valentine's card was written by or who it was written for. And okay. you get a point either way. Okay, so do we buzz in? You can buzz in with okay. your loveliest noise. Okay, so we practice our lovely noises. Ah. <sighs> 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 They were very lovely. <laughs> okay, so number one, I love you so much it makes my chest burst. Oh. That's John. Oh, the specific character would be the alien. Ah, uh, yeah. That'd be John Hurt's character, or do you want the actor? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 if you've got the character name. Ooh. It's Ash in the other one. No, Ash, Ash is the, the Ash is the alien. So Ash is the robot. John Hurt's character. Burke? No, that's Alien. Oh, fucking hell. I've got a poster downstairs with all the names and faces on. Quick. Uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> I cannot remember his name. It was Kane. Kane, uh, yes. Kane. Um, so I'm going to give Peter and John both a point for that. It, it would be John Hurt's character talking to the alien. Love you, Dan. Yeah. Love you too. We've got to do that every time he gives us a point. Yeah. Number two. Longing. Rusted. 17. Daybreak. Furnace. Valentine's Day. I think that's John's love noise. Uh, John Connor to the Terminator. Incorrect. Do we need a clue? (sighs) Freddy Krueger. Not Freddy Krueger. Can I have a clue? Um, Peter's not far off with the concept of metal arms. Ah, Karis. Terminator. No, we've just had Terminator. Oh, just had Terminator. Well, I thought if I said oh, we still did Grand Hot Day. John, uh, the Iron Giant. Not the Iron Giant. Um, think super heroics with metal arms. Ah, the Winter Soldier. It is the Winter Soldier, Peter. Yes, I've just activated him in a loving fashion. Th- those are the words you say if you want to yes. activate the Winter Soldier. Number three. Happy Valentine's Day. Now, fuck the fuck off. John That'd be Logan from Succession That is Logan from Succession <laughs> uh, Number four I'd toss a coin to you anytime <sighs> That's Peter <gasps> The Witcher It is The Witcher <gasps> Oh, um, Whose name Keris is Geralt of Rivia It is Geralt of Rivia Keris gets a point I was going to go for Two-Face there <laughs> <laughs> That would have uh, been a that's, that's, that, I probably would have accepted that Number five I can't live without you are you saying can't, or are you saying a very bad word in a very posh voice? <laughs> <laughs> I am saying can't. Ah, 
John? We'll be Captain Kirk to Khan. <laughs> we'll be Captain Kirk to Khan. <laughs> yes. Number six. I know nothing except that I love you. Uh, That's Karis. Uh, sorry, I, I forgot. You know nothing. Uh, John. Uh, John Snow? It is John Snow. I was going to go for Manuel from Faulty Tower. <laughs> I know nothing. I thought that, yeah. yeah. I would have accepted it. Yeah. Love you, Dan. I love you too. Uh, number seven. I can bring you Valentine's Day dinner warm, or I can bring you it cold. This is the way. John in there first. Is it the Mandalorian? It is the Mandalorian. Number eight. Let's stick our little hair tentacle things together forever. Karis is doing the right hand action. Ah! Ah, Karis. Alien. No. I mean, they were aliens, but we're going to have to be more specific. E.T. It's not E.T. He doesn't have little hair tentacle things. Oh, ah! Uh, Karis! <laughs> what noise are you making? That's your lovely noise. Ah! <laughs> they, they're on the dragons. They are on the, the dragon things, the hair, yes. Yes. The, the, the Avatar. Avatar, ah! correct. <laughs> I got one. <laughs> uh, if only the listeners could have seen the, the arm motions as Karis figured that out. <laughs> I was like high, f- high fingering my nose. <laughs> <laughs> Did they get each other Pandora bracelets? As- hey. That was beautiful. <laughs> Number nine. You remind me of the night my parents died. We'd been to the theatre, but in the alleyway outside, ah! there was a robber. Everybody all at once. Three, two, one. Batman! Batman! Points for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, number ten. Will you be my Valentine? Be. be ah. Bees. Bees, not the bees. Oh. John and Peter. Do you have a Seinfeld in the bee movie? <laughs> it's not, it's, oh, Nicholas Cage. It's not Barry B. Benson. Um, it is Nicholas Cage. In what film? Wicker Man. Yeah, there you go. Couldn't leave him out. So at the end of that quiz, I think with one, two, three, four, five, with seven points, John is the winner. Well done, John. Four points for Peter and three points for Karis. <laughs> but in a more romantic way, you all win. Aww. And I hope you all get cards with wordplay as good as that. <laughs> <laughs> now let's all shag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was an especially lovely noise. That was. <laughs> What's the best Valentine's Day movie? A movie to watch on Valentine's oh, yeah. Day or a movie about it? One of to the watch Saw on. movies? One of the Saw movies. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And our Valentine's Day tradition is to watch a film that has very little to do with Valentine's Day. So we've seen things like Die Hard 5 on Valentine's Day. <laughs> uh, no, I can, I can see an argument for Die Hard being a Christmas movie, but I'm not but, sure. No, it, it was terrible, but it was fun to have watched it on Valentine's Day. Uh, Lego movie, Lego Batman movie were both Valentine's Day films. This year we are planning to go and see Uncharted as a Valentine's Day film. So I think the best Valentine's Day film is one that has nothing to do with Valentine's Day. My favourite Valentine's Day cinema experience was when I went to the Tyneside Cinema for their Love Hurts season and I saw Audition. Audition's a great Valentine's Day movie. Yeah, I I had no idea what it would be about. I just Mm -hmm. thought, yeah, I'm going to take myself to the pictures. I had a lovely time. I might stick with the Lego movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stick is a good choice of words for audition. Mm, so I've heard. 
I, I, I don't think I have one. I'm trying to think of like big romance movies that I actually... I'm not a big sucker for romance films. I have a hatred of films where people are obviously going to get together from the beginning and then they put a, a series of increasingly ridiculous obstacles mm-hmm. in their way mm-hmm. and then have to run through an airport at the end. Not allowed to run through airports. Anymore. No. That kid in Love Actually would have been Still shot. in prison. Should have been Sh- shot, shot in the head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not the biggest problem in Love Actually, but... No. Yeah. yeah. I, I have issues with Love Actually, like the stalker. It's better if you imagine it's Rick from The Walking Dead before the apocalypse. Imagine if, like, like day before your wedding, if I'd turned up and knocked on the door and Amy answered and I was there with a load of cards <laughs> saying that I loved her. You would be... You'd be I'd, I'd be in hospital and you'd be in prison. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting what we romanticise, isn't it, through movies. And Colin Firth assuming that woman fancies him even though she can't speak English. She might be saying, no, go away, Colin. Please leave me alone. Please leave me alone. You're harassing Mm. me. He should have gone to America where all the women would have instantly fallen in love with him Mm. for reasons. You know what I'd love to do? We could do like um, a a, a dark edit of romantic movies. If you just take the the romantic music out. Replace it with horror film music. Yeah. (laughs) It's like those Friends clips where they're taking the laughter track off and it's just like Ross says something really creepy. Then there's five seconds of silence. <laughs> and then everyone moves on like he never said it. <laughs> so I think we should, in the style of Eminem, wrap it up. Or in the style of Phil Collins writing a song. Yes. Oh, God. Okay, so that's our show for this week. We've had a lovely time, haven't we? It's been wonderful. I love all of you very much. And if you love us, we would love it if you went on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and left us a delightful message. And if we do that, Daniel has a special treat for you. Yeah, I will wait until it's your wedding day. You'll be there exchanging your vows. And then suddenly an entire orchestra will pop up out of the pews. They haven't been invited to the wedding. Nobody knows who these people are. Nobody's noticed that they brought tubers and French horns in. And they will play All You Need Is Love, disrupting the ceremony and your carefully laid plans. (laughs) Because that's love, actually. Yeah, it was slightly frustrating, actually, when you postponed your wedding due to the pandemic, because I couldn't get the orchestra together again for the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the revised date. <laughs> that would be lovely. I'm almost tempted to get married just so that happens. Me too. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Louise is now insane. She's going, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you have been listening to... A man who's wearing one of his extensive collection of 80-string vests. A man who will talk about Bruno. A man who is thinking Keris might just be wearing his missing toupee. <laughs> a woman who is a huge fan of Groundhog Day. You've said that. A woman who is a huge fan of Groundhog Day. You've said that. A woman who is a big fan of Groundhog Day. Have you got any facts about it, though? <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. Mwah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> We love you. We love you all. Do you want me to do the grunt? Always. (laughs) (laughs) That's not something I'm going to turn down.
I mean, it could be so many things that could to cut it out. <laughs> That's a risk, isn't it? If you're like, yeah. if you with a lady says, "Would you like me to do the grunts?" <laughs> it just sounds it's, like a disappointing dance from the fifties. Yeah, <laughs> do the grunt. I am thinking of those beasts in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I could might like bring in a small furry animal in. <laughs> <laughs> And be like, Dad, why are you here? <laughs> hey. <laughs> and that delightful image of us making sweet, sweet love in your ear holes. <laughs> Not literally. L- literally. I'm doing it literally. Oh. Yeah. What a Valentine's Day treat. For each and every one of you. Bye. Peter's <laughs> <laughs> was like, we got so close to doing it without edit, so they need the last five minutes. <laughs> That's not even true anyway. <laughs> <laughs>